who's got CFO qualifications, who actually understands generally accepting accounting principles. One of the funny things from Judge Arthur Engeron's order is that the individual from the Trump organization who signed off on the financial representations saying they're consistent with generally accepting accounting principles was Donald Trump Jr., who, do it, who during Donald Trump Jr.'s deposition says he doesn't understand GAAP. He doesn't know generally accepting accounting principles. He goes, all I know is what they taught me at Wharton in college 101. I mean, which is just a total, you know... And Alan, Weisselberg, and Alan Weisselberg signed off on a lot of their financial statements. He's about to go to jail for five months for tax fraud, and he's basically going to be a cooperating witness in the, <laughs> down the street when the Manhattan DA's office resumes on, I assume, on Monday. And in the case of... LOL. Is why so park <laughs> the Trump Organization in the criminal yeah. case. So you got this ongoing fraud taking place, and then so the New York Attorney General says, look, Judge, we need you to intervene now. We're not asking yet to appoint a receiver, which is an important point that came up, because Trump and his lawyers kept on asking, like, well, they want a receiver who would actually, a receivership, a receiver comes in and actually takes over the fraudulent criminal business when there's a finding made. But here, no, 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 Judge, we need an independent monitor, is what the New York Attorney General said. I always talked about the irony there, because I'm like, it's kind of like a special master, although you pointed out, Popak, on the last <laughs> legal laugh, it's far worse than a special master, <laughs> worse. because an independent monitor is literally inserted into your business. But I, I don't know if you caught this, but one of the funny things that Judge Arthur Engeron said during the hearing, which is why never threaten the judge like Donald Trump did, who's overseeing your case. Rule judge number Arthur one in law school, don't threaten the judge. Judge Arthur and... Why wasn't Trump charged for the fraud of his own organization? It's his fucking organization. Why does the accountant go to fucking jail? Just the accountant. Why does just the accountant go to jail? Goes, hmm, I wonder if Judge know, Raymond Deary, the special master, may be interested in uh, doing the job. He cracked a joke during the uh, hearing, you know, which was very intentionally done and I thought very funny. Um, but the findings that were made by the judge are very, 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 um, you know, harsh on Trump, and appropriately so. You know, you go through this order, and the main point was that was made by Judge Arthur Engron is, look, Trump, you had the opportunity to speak and answer when you were deposed. You pled the fifth over 400 times. And okay, fine. We want to say you took the Fifth Amendment, you invoked your right against self-incrimination when you were asked the questions about the valuations, and when Tish James said to you, 
okay, so that property is appraised at this, and then you valued it at that. You explain, I plead the fifth, I plead the fifth. Well, that's not a great sign right there. Then what Judge Engeron said is, but also you could have submitted an iota of evidence in response to the preliminary injunction. The judge says, I have detailed declarations here from the New York Attorney General's office saying, here's the financial misrepresentation. You've submitted nothing. Zero. Literally, he says, not an iota of evidence. And then I thought on page 9 of 11 of the order, this was when they make the order that an injunction is necessary, and to make that, you have to find a probability of success on the merits, and balancing the equities is in favor of the New York Attorney General. That's the standard, but the judge goes, in the absence of an injunction and given defendants demonstrated propensity to engage in persistent fraud, failure to grant such an injunction to result in extreme precedent to the people of New York. And then he goes, furthermore, given the persistent misrepresentation throughout every one of Mr. Trump's statement of financial conditions between 2011 and 2021, this court finds that the appointment of an independent monitor is prudent and narrowly tailored. So now the parties go and select who the independent monitor is. They got to do that in the, in best the next day of days, mine. and they comment on each other. then one will be appointed this month. Popak, what else do you want to say about that? Yeah, let me, let me throw a couple of things back in there, some of which is uh, tying together some things we've done in prior episodes of the podcast. The power of the New York Attorney General is very unique. A lot of Attorney Generals around the country don't even have, they, they would envy the power that the New York Legislature has given to the Attorney General. The Attorney General, through the Martin Act, which is, you referred to as uh, properly as uh, 63-12, has tremendous abilities in stopping what what is referred to as repeated fraud by defendants. And that includes what she did here, the power to go into a courtroom and have an independent monitor appointed, a preliminary injunction um, issued by a judge on a standard that is less burdensome than if you and I, for a private client, tried to get an injunction or an independent monitor. Representing the people through a doctrine we haven't talked too much about, but through an overall doctrine called parens patri, which is Latin for effectively, she's standing in the shoes of the people, and she's trying to protect the people and the public from this ongoing fraud. And under that doctrine, under that power that the Martin Act emanates from, she, in conjunction with the judge, can do lots of really aggressive things against a defendant even before they have they are found to have committed the fraud. Remember, this is based on a 200-page filing, a three-year investigation, very little defense so far in opposition 
and no trial. Look at the powers the New York Attorney General has. Look at the powers that the, uh, which is why Trump is so scared, um, and look at the powers of the judge. All she had to show, and she did, is likelihood of success on the merits, and she's going to win her case. And that's where the findings that you just talked about are so, so important. We're going to talk throughout this podcast today about findings that judges made when their hands are forced by people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump to finally go on the record and say what they believe based on the law. And those findings are terrible for people like Giuliani and Trump. We'll talk about it later with Beryl Howell. Here, Judge Engeron says, because of the propensity of the Trump organization to... Man, they are all disqualified from office now with 14th Amendment, 14th Amendment, 14th. Engage in persistent fraud. I'm going to issue this injunction. Poetic. And I'm going to issue the injunction. <laughs> and to be fair, the injunction is not as far-reaching, I think, as, as Fish James' office wanted. But it's going to be, He is his organization is not going to be able to transfer any non-cash assets, real estate, property, restructure their business, restructure things away from the Trump organization into this new entity in Delaware or in Florida without giving the New York Attorney General, the monitor, and the court 14 days notice so there could be a court hearing present. So it's not going to run the Trump Organization business. That, as you said, is what a receiver would do. I've been involved with receiverships in defending them. They're scary things unless you want one. If you want one, it's great because the receiver takes over the entire business, runs it like the business person, issues reports to everybody, and the judge takes in money. I mean, literally, you know, if the business is making socks, it runs the sock business. So it's not, we're not there yet, but this monitor is in place. But what did Trump do to dovetail this into the next segment? Trump, knowing there was going to be a hearing on Thursday this past week in Judge Engeron's courtroom, knowing he was likely to lose. I've seen some of his lawyers quoted before saying, yeah, we're, we're going to, yeah, she's, she's going to get the monitor. <laughs> knowing that, he hired another law firm we've never heard of, based in a whole different part of Florida than where the case was filed, on the west coast of Florida, the law firm, some sort of, I think, trusted estate law firm, and they run into Palm Beach County Circuit Court, where I used to apply my trade, and I've tried cases in the 15th Circuit, the night before Engeron's hearing, and filed this ridiculous, ridiculous, and to use your words, vexatious, uh, silly, punishable, sanctionable case about nothing in Florida against Letitia James, which she only used, you know, because they're smart. <laughs> they knew about that filing, and they filed a letter brief Tish James's office the night before, leading into the hearing, say, saying, look what they just did in Florida. This indicates that they're not going to respect your orders, that they're going to try to move assets out of New York into Florida away from you. And this is just exhibit A of why we need the monitor. So another backfire. Why didn't he wait another day for that? Because he wanted to step on the news cycle. That's all he cares about. But the problem with the moving to the Florida case, the problem with the Florida case 
I don't want to remind everybody, then I'll turn it over to you, Ben, to kind of give the outline for the Florida case. Let's remind everybody, Trump has sued Letitia James in four different fora and has lost every time related to this very civil investigation. He, ran, he didn't like Judge Engel. And he got charged. He ran to the Northern District. Million dollars. Find a million court, dollars for frivolous lawsuits. In Syracuse area, he and, and law, he lost one of his lawyers, in May. He took an appeal to the Federal Second Circuit, trying to get rid of Engeron and get rid of Letitia James, and he lost. He brought another case you get the in front of the New York State with Engeron. He appealed Engeron to try to get rid of Letitia James on these very same things that she's got a witch hunt that she's just doing this for political uh, grandstanding that this is there's no real case here and he lost at the first department which is the first level court of appeals and the court of appeals of new york he has lost every time raising the very same things so if anybody's going to read this complaint down in florida and scratch their heads and say hmm there might be something here there isn't these very same things have been raised in front of four different courts including appellate courts and he's lost every time he's going to lose in florida that case is going to dismiss it's going to get dismissed very quickly i want you to kind of do the overview of it i'm going to talk about the judge situation we've got a little judge situation down in florida you know no surprise and i'll talk about that yeah because trump isn't filing like lawsuits he's not utilizing the courts he wants to use the courts as soundboards for his fascist press releases. And look, as practicing attorneys, Popak and I deal with preliminary injunctions frequently. This isn't like a new thing, preliminary injunction, oh my gosh. What do you do when there is a preliminary injunction? If you are in the receiving end and you're representing someone who the order can be against, what do you do? You submit declarations with affidavits that has evidence and go, well, here is what rebuts the showing that they can establish a probability of success on the merits at this stage. Instead, Donald Trump's arguments in the New York case were uh, Tish James doesn't have jurisdiction. And it's like, yes, she does. Literally, the statute, the New York executive law, like literally gives the jurisdiction. Like, it's right there. And then Trump's other argument, not evidence-based, he just goes, well, I give this disclaimer in my statement of financial conditions. And the disclaimer is a disclaimer of his accounting firm, Mazers. And it says, don't rely on us, Mazers, because we've relied on Trump. And the judge is like, how in the world are you relying on that as a disclaimer against you? Why it's not even yours. It's not even your disclaimer. It's, your, it's disclaimer. your accountant's disclaimer. And you can't just lie. That would defeat the whole purpose of a statement of financial condition if liars can get away with it by lying with it. So just complete and utter BS. One more observation. Alina Haba practices in New York. She was the lawyer. Guess what? They called in Christopher Keis because guess what? Alina Haba's not like a real freaking lawyer and i keep telling you she's like the worst lawyer in the world like i think worse than jenna ellis and if she was a good lawyer they would have her argue that but they brought in chris Keis because chris Keis actually has a reputation in florida for being he was the solicitor general and so his role was and he's, a little yeah, bit sorry sorry go ahead i didn't mean to interrupt you he's argued cases before the florida supreme court he's and the u.s supreme court and u.s yeah, so he knows what he's yeah. doing but he goes there you know and all he's got really is the three million dollars that he's grifted off of the trump grift 
of the Save America organization grip, but he's there with no evidence. He looks like an idiot. And so he told Trump's team, don't file this stupid Florida case. This Florida case is stupid. I'm already going to look stupid in this piece. But he said, like, this is what the reporting yeah. is. I'm already going to look like an idiot when I go in front of Judge Arthur Endron. Can you please make me look like less of an idiot when I argue? Because the first thing Tish James is going to do when you file this stupid freaking lawsuit is she's going to send it to the judge in New York and say, look, they're trying to hide their assets. See, this is exactly what they're doing here. And that's exactly what was, Tish was this your was this your hot take? Where the lawyers are fighting over who's going to commit malpractice first. They're all saying you're committing malpractice. <laughs> you're committing malpractice. They've all accused each other of committing malpractice. But look, as I pointed out in the video, malpractice you insinuates that the client is the victim or the client. Right? The client wants this malpractice, so it's not yeah. malpractice. It is unethical. And this lawsuit that they filed in Florida in the circuit court of the 15th Judicial District for Palm Beach County is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing. And you remember at the beginning I said, I, I gave you the example of what this like lawsuit says. This is what it says. This is literally what it says. As a private company, nobody knew very much about the great business that then businessman Donald Trump had, but it now it is being revealed by James, and to her chagrin, the continuing witch hunt that has haunted and targeted Donald Trump since he came down the, quote, golden escalator at Trump Tower continues since 2015. Trump built a great and prosperous company, but a company nevertheless that must be carefully and delicately yet powerfully managed. And the appointment of a political monitor, like, you read this. Where is the punctuation in this sentence? And is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing. And you remember at the beginning I said, I, I gave you the example of what this, and then I get the, is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing. And you remember at the beginning I said, I, I gave you the example of what this like lawsuit says. This is what it says. This is literally what it says. As a private company, nobody knew very much about the great business that then businessman Donald Trump had, but it now it is being revealed by James and to her chagrin, the continuing witch hunt that has haunted and targeted Donald Trump since he came down the quote golden escalator at Trump Tower continues since 2015. Trump built a great and prosperous company, but a company nevertheless that must be carefully and delicately yet powerfully managed. And the appointment of a political monitor, like you read this. Where is I'm the like, punctuation okay. in this sentence? There isn't. Then I'm like scrolling <laughs> down and I'm like, okay, I'm on page 10 and it's just saying that Donald Trump good, Tish James communist. Okay, where is, what is he alleging? And then but, I but get wait, the, is a completely frivolous, gibberish, weird thing and you remember at the beginning i said I, I gave you the example of what this like lawsuit says this is what it says this is literally in this sentence there is it then i'm like scrolling <laughs> down and i'm like okay i'm on page 10 and it's just saying that donald trump good fish james communist okay where it what is he alleging and then but, i but wait get ben, the, ben ben wait 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 go back look at the allegation on Personal jurisdiction. 
and you pick it up. The, the, in order to sue somebody in a state, the court has to have fundamentally first what's called personal or impersonum jurisdiction over the party or, or the other person. So you have to make a good faith allegation in your pleading if you're the plaintiff as to why the court should even hear this matter involving the person that you've now sued. Look at the paragraph on why the court has jurisdiction over the New York Attorney General. They quote to some trust power that she's not exercising, that she is she hasn't even gone after the trust in Florida, and using that as the hook for jurisdiction. And don't acknowledge because they either don't understand it or they wanna they wanna keep this suit alive long enough so it gets the press to step on the injunction press that an anger on court, because they know this is gonna go out the window as soon as a judge takes a look at it. You can't sue a municipality, a state entity or actor outside of the state in which they operate. They it's called home rule, municipal home rule. You're, you only can sue that person. You can only sue Tish James in New York. You can't sue them in Florida. But they don't care about little niceties like we don't have personal jurisdiction over the person we're suing. Because as you said, this is a press release masquerading once again as a lawsuit. Same thing we talked about last week with the sanctions motion that has been filed All confused. There's so much. Right, you bloody well, right. He got, what was the one he got fined? Hillary Clinton case. Trump and Alina Habba for bringing that ridiculous RICO racketeering defamation, whatever the freak lawsuit that was that they filed back in March of 2022 against Hillary Clinton and all these other individuals who they said they did Trump wrong. They did Trump dirty. Like, that's not a lawsuit, number one. And the judge said these are the judge literally said these are the ranting the federal judge. Judge Middington or Judge of Southern District oh, middle, of Florida. Middle, middle, Middlebrook. Middlebrook. Yeah, I said, it's the rantings and raving. The judge said it. Like, what <laughs> is this? And the judge retained jurisdiction. Clinton and all those other defendants in that federal case are seeking $1,074,000 in sanctions jointly oh, and severally against Alina Hobbin Trump. And the judge is going to grant it there because the judge has already said it was a frivolous lawsuit. <laughs> And don't gloss over that. Under Rule 11, which is the rule, one of the rules that he'll be using, or his inherent authority as a federal judge to, to issue a sanction, it, it'll definitely be against Donald Trump. It could also be against Alina Habba. 
I hope she's made a lot of money representing uh, Donald Trump. She gets it with a half a million dollar personal judgment as a bar member. You know, like let's say she gets half of it. That's a lot of money for a small little law firm sitting on the back, the back 18 of the uh, of Trump uh, golf course. By the way, in most states, and I assume it's similar in New York, if you get sanctioned by a judge over a certain limit, you have to self-report to the state yes. bar of your sanction. I guarantee you being sanctioned for a million dollars is going to be. And the main sanction statute, and I guess I'm digressing talking about the Alina Habba sanctions, but I love talking about the Alina Habba sanctions. Um, the best part about it, though, is that it would likely be against her. And the main yeah. statute at issue is actually against the law firm. That's the easiest one to get. Yeah. And, that, she, and she has to pay it. And she has to pay it. And if the bar finds out that she borrows the money, for instance, because people are thinking, well, Trump will pay it for her. She, he can't. It has to be a punishment against the lawyer or the law firm. And if she doesn't pay it, and I've seen this happen before, she'll be in contempt, literally in contempt of court, and she can go to jail and lose her law license. So it's, it's a serious thing. Again, making attorneys get attorneys. A serious thing when you represent Donald Trump and you sign pleadings as an officer of the court. You and I are officers of the court. When we sign a pleading, we appear at court, we look a judge in the eye. We're not tweeting about it, okay? We have duties and ethical responsibilities. You know, lawyers get a bum rap, rightly so for some people on this show. But we are ultimately the members of an honorable profession that is a very highly regulated profession, ethically. And you can get your ticket pulled, get your license lost because of these ethical violations that you and I have outlined over the last two years. Yeah, you know, one of the things that Kamala Harris said when she was the Attorney General of California, and she spoke before a group that I was in in 2011, she said, a lawyer, I still remember this very vividly, she says, a lawyer needs to understand the power of their pen. And when I sign something as the AG, and when you sign something, people's lives are impacted by Always remember the power of your pen. That's something that's always last a la left a lasting profession for me. But as you scroll down through this ridiculous, uh, incoherent ramblings and ravings of a lawsuit, you finally get to paragraph 119, which I think is what he's actually asking for. And it goes, President Trump, by the way, he keeps calling himself President Trump. Uh, it's like, dude, you're not the president well, anymore. But it goes, President Trump reasonably fears that James's hand-picked justice, again, what are you talking about? Will require President Trump to disclose the terms of his revocable trust and fine President Trump $10,000 a day for not providing it if she asks for such relief in the New York Supreme Court, which she has given every indication she will do. So but hasn't done yet. But hasn't, hasn't done, done yet. <laughs> and so this is about hiding the revocable trust, which just goes to show you it's the exact reason why Tish James wants the independent monitor, because he's going to try to shield his assets when he's right. hit with the disgorgement order. He's going to fraudulently transfer. Okay, all this lawsuit says is, I, Donald Trump, former president of the United States, are pl is planning to fraudulently transfer <laughs> out of New York jurisdiction into my revocable, not even irrevocable, my revocable trust in which I am both, just to have a little trust in the state's law breakout session here, I am both the grantor, meaning I establish the trust, and the beneficiary, meaning I get the benefit of the trust. Same person. 
an irrevocable trust, meaning I can revoke it at any time. Which again, I don't does not quite get the same protection. You know, so he, usually people set up trust funds for their kids. Usually people set up irrevocable trust funds for their kids. Trump sets up revocable, revocable trust funds for to himself. <laughs> right. Okay. So it, that's real insight. Right. And then, and then, okay, and that is the best. So he's asking for basically an advisory opinion because there's no real harm yet to enjoin a party that is not properly before the court because she's the New York attorney general, doesn't ply her trade in Florida or Palm Beach County, hasn't done anything in Palm Beach County in order to have the court exercise what's called long arm jurisdiction to drag her in, even if she could be dragged in under principles of comedy and the like. And then, and then lastly, I want to just talk about the judge for a minute. I don't know if you caught this part, Ben. Did you catch who the judge is for now? Who's the judge? So, the, so, and I'm not making this up. The division that the case has been randomly assigned to, because they do the spinning, spinning of the wheel in, in Palm Beach County, uh, in the circuit courts as well, is Division AF. I'm not making it up. It's like legal AF. And Division AF is currently staffed by one judge. Okay, his name, his name is Judge Kastronakis. The problem with Judge, he's great for the case, potentially, and against Trump. He's great for democracy and for liberty, and, and he's terrible for Trump for as long as he remains, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Kastronakis is a former assistant U.S. attorney, prosecutor, Southern District of Florida, who made his bones prosecuting public corruption. He's like the... Tish James. <laughs> of Palm Beach County federal side prosecutor. He brought down five major commissioners, county commissioners and elected officials in in Palm Beach County during his 14 years as a prosecutor. He then ran, no I'm sorry, he was appointed by Charlie Crist, who's now running for Democratic governor but was then a Republican moderate governor onto the bench. He, he, a little controversial. He's had some issues. He's had some issues about some of his rulings and jailing certain people. He's decided that he is not running for re-election uh, like this week. And so he's, gonna he's just going to finish out. Till, he's just going to be the judge on this case until January. Now, there could be a lot of activity between now and January. If the case stays in Division AF, there's two people running for the job. One is a Federalist Society member. She's a juvenile dependency lawyer by trade, but she is an active member of the Federalist Society. She's running against the former assistant attorney general for the state of New York, of the state of Florida, who before she came to Florida 12 years ago, worked as a lawyer in New Jersey. Okay, this is strange bedfellows, where she practiced litigation and real estate law. And she, she said she went to a Federalist Society meeting once but didn't like it and decided she didn't want to join. So we don't know quite who the judge is going to be. It could be Kastronakis. But if there's motion practice about lack of personal jurisdiction, motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim and all of that, it's probably going to be in front of one of these two judges that's running for election on Tuesday. Wow. Popak, we will keep everybody updated there. But it seems like a pretty obvious one to dismiss. I guess if there is a judge who would lean in favor of Trump, the best that they could really hope for 
is that they're not going to be sanctioned. Tens of thousands or millions of dollars would probably be the best result and outcome. But here's the thing the media really needs to call out these lawsuits for what they are as completely without merit that needs to be in the headline. It can't just be Trump files lawsuit against Hillary Clinton and then when he's hit with these sanctions, the media doesn't care about it. We talk yeah, he, about this a lot on the you, on, on you you've been great. You've been great. Your brother's been great about this whole too. Thank you. That's why you that's why you have me on, so I can compliment you. You've been great because it's not just it's not just both sizing sizing it, which it is. It's putting these things on moral or legal equivalency because of the way you run your headline business. Every, because we all do research before we get on the show. I know, I know some of our trolls think we don't, but we do. And so when you, when you pop in Florida lawsuit Trump Letitia James, every headline in every major media outlet, independent alleged, you know, you know down the middle alleged, is exactly the way you just framed it. Trump sues Letitia James in Florida for whatever he's suing it for. What it should say in the first paragraph, first, second, or third line is, in an obvious attempt to step on the media coverage from tomorrow's injunction and, and monitor hearing in New York, he has filed what it looks to us as legal analysts to be a load of shit. But they won't write that. Well, this is why we have, you and I have a lane where we can speak every week, and you almost every day, about media coverage of lawsuits. Because they don't understand the power of the pen that you talked about that left an indelible mark on you as a professional. The power of the media to give equivalency to things that are not equivalent because of the way they cover it. To balance the scale where one is a bowling ball you know, like Letitia James's case, and the other is a feather like Donald Trump's lawsuit and say, oh, it's balanced. It's not balanced. Call it for what it is. At least, at least in some aspect of your media empire, your media outlet, have legal commentary. I listen to legal commentary because, you know, this is our hobby now. So I listen to it on CNN and MSNBC, and it's terrible because they are twisting themselves into pretzels to try to be, quote unquote, fair and balanced. But all they're doing is setting up an a, a, um, a, a intellectually dishonest equivalency between two things that are not equivalent. And then you have the 30 seconds each. Tell me about the position in 30 seconds. Go. Well, you, you, you can't. If you want me to really explain <laughs> to you the issue, that's just not the way it works. Speaking of which, though, Popak, derivative use immunity can't be explained in 30 seconds. But I bet you you could do it in three minutes the difference between derivative use immunity transactional immunity what that means that the doj has granted cash patel derivative use immunity they've compelled him to testify before the grand jury in washington dc that is overseeing the department of justice's criminal investigation into donald trump's thefts of government records where does cash patel into all of this. Well, Cash Patel, during the Trump administration, was one of Trump's hand-picked lackeys to join the Department of Defense. He was appointed as the chief of staff position. His goal was to literally stop the peaceful transition of power. Remember the fascist pillow guy leaving the White House with that piece of paper also saying, point, appoint Cash Patel 
acting CIA director. There was attempts to literally have Cash Patel take over the CIA to take over the Department of Defense, and everybody in, inside was quote-unquote team normal, which to me is still team complicit with the Donald Trump administration, all rebelled against that concept. But after Trump left, Cash Patel was appointed as Trump's designated representative uh, to the National Archives, which basically means Patel did nothing because there was no process with the archives, as Trump stole all the top secret records. But then Patel ran his mouth with all of these right-wing extremist magazines and papers and media. And, and the Wall Street book. Journal. And the Wall Street Journal. And, well, the, the most egregious one, I thought, was this early May interview he did with Breitbart, where he goes, I was there when Trump declassified everything, and he bragged about it. He said he declassified things about Russia and other things about our national security. I'm not going to tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats. He goes, and the issue is these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. didn't paper it, and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists. But anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you, it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records about Russia. He stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted to keep for these purposes to use for his own use. So that's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for, in, in addition to a number of other things. But he... So he testified first October 13th, and Rash Patel tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed. Which we know exists, but anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you, it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records about Russia, he stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted to keep for these purposes to use for his own use. So that's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for, in, in addition to a number of other things. But he, so he testified first October 13th in response to a subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government then went in front of the judge who's over... I love Beryl tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats. He goes, and the issue is, these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. didn't paper it, and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists, but anyway, you have to prove the case sometimes, because it's helpful to have evidence that Trump stole these records about Russia, he stole these other top secret records, that he
tell Blame. the last evidence that Trump stole. these records about Russia. He stole these other top secret records that he specifically wanted to keep for these purposes to use for his own use. So that's one of the things that Cash Patel is useful for in, in addition to a number of other things. But he, so he testified first October 13th in response to his subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government then went in front of the judge who's overseeing all of the grand juries in D.C. That's Judge Beryl Howell. We'll talk more Beryl about Howell. her in the Rudy Giuliani ruling. It's become and the Beryl Howell show. I love Beryl Howell. I will tell you more than that, but he declassified all of those things, and he goes, and then he blamed bureaucrats. He goes, and the issue is these idiot bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. didn't paper it, and they should have, but he declassified all that document, which goes to Trump's intent, which we know exists. But anyway, you have to prove your case sometimes, so you, it's helpful to have this evidence that Trump stole these records in response to his subpoena. He pled the fifth to each and every question. The government then went in front of the judge who's overseeing all of the grand juries in D.C. That's Judge Beryl Howell. We'll talk more Beryl about Howell. her in the Rudy Giuliani ruling. It's become the Beryl Howell show. I love Beryl By Howell. By the way, Beryl Howell had previous. ruled in the other grand jury. She's supervising in connection with the January 6th insurrection, which is basically across the hallway at people like Mark Short, the former chief of staff to former Vice President Pence, people like Greg Jacobs, the former general counsel to former VP. And there's also now more motions about other Trump lawyers that they couldn't assert executive privilege to not testify there. So she gave a very favorable ruling to the DOJ in that other grand jury. But here she found that, look, Cash Patel, based on his testimony, could be incriminating Cash himself. Patel. If you want to compel him, you have to give him immunity. They chose to, DOJ chose to give him derivative use immunity versus transactional immunity, which still means he can Cash be prosecuted um, if they find independent information on him outside of what he testifies to. But break it down, Popak, derivative versus transactional and why this is important. I'm going to do it. I got one question for you. Let's go back to Ben for a minute. Move your move your microphone. What does your shirt say? I think says, I know what it says. I'm Ben doing Ben what? Things. <laughs> I love that. Where's my I'm Popak doing Popak things? Holy shit. I get, I get it to you right. for the holidays. Yeah, I love that. That's really great. Okay. <laughs> So let's talk about what you said, Cash Patel, and use immunity and transactional immunity and all that. And this dovetails with what I said to start the show with, with you, Ben, which is the, the DOJ is battening down the hatches and is getting all their ducks in a row and getting all their prosecutors reorganized, lined up, adding turbocharging their prosecutorial front line on all of these grand juries that Beryl Howell, as the chief judge, is supervising. You and I have talked about it. We think there's four or more. Could be up to six. We think there's four or more. And every time there's a question of, does attorney-client privilege apply here? Or has it been waived? Or is it the crime-fraud exception? 
The answer to that question goes before Merrill Howell. Executive privilege is being asserted. Uh, is that appropriate? That goes to Beryl Howell. So, so all of this is going on pre-midterm elections so that, and, and getting people like Cash Patel immunity so that the Department of Justice is ready to go. There's even reporting out there, I don't know if you caught this, there's even reporting out there that Merrick Garland is strongly considering after the midterm elections, if Trump announces that he's running, the appointment of an independent prosecutor against Donald Trump. We'll talk about that if and when it happens, but the fact that that's even out there, that that thought process is out there, means the Department of Justice is ready for the chessboard, whatever move Trump makes next. If, they, if anybody thinks that that office is going to be caught flat-footed by an announcement at some rally that Donald Trump is running for office, which everybody knows he's going to announce, they are in for a rude awakening. Cash Patel first among them. Now, what they didn't grant Cash Patel, as you said, is what's called transactional immunity, which the federal government almost rarely does anyway, which is come in and tell us whatever you got. We're giving you absolute immunity for any crime that, that you could have been charged with. Just come talk to us. It's rarely done in the federal setting. There's two types of what you call derivative or use immunity, one of which we've talked about in the past which is queen for the day, queen for a day. It's the same thing as what they just gave Cash Patel, but it arises in a different uh, uh, different uh, uh, behavior, conduct. Queen for a day is the, the, um, the defendant, the target, in this case Cash Patel, through his counsel, work out a negotiated deal and an agreement, a proper agreement, to proffer, to offer, in, in writing or in, in interview testimony. And if the proffer is the following, right, and that's the lawyer writing this, the government agrees in advance to give that person use immunity, what's called queen for the day. You're the queen for the day, and you can tell us whatever you want, and if we're going to do um, anything against you, we can still prosecute you, but we can't use your statements if we independently, if we independently originate them or find them through our investigative techniques, we can use them, but not exactly what you could call them. The difference here is Cash Patel, there's a uh, person like that, has not entered into a voluntary negotiated position or agreement with the Department of Justice. Instead, the Department of Justice, using its power and authority from the DOJ manual and guidelines, is applying to Judge uh, Howell, the judge overseeing the grand jury, for permission to grant the, the uh, witness use immunity so that whatever he tells them in those negotiated in those discussions, it can't be used against him, but he can still be prosecuted for anything else if they independently originate it. So it's a little bit different. One is private lawyer negotiating queen for the day to a use immunity. The other is you apply to the federal judge to, uh, to grant use immunity. And she's already told the Department of Justice, because she had a hearing on this, and she said that the Fifth Amendment assertion by Cash Patel was genuine and appropriate and in good faith, and I'm not going to strip the Fifth Amendment away from him. So if you're going to have him testify, you're going to have to come back here and apply for use immunity, which has now been granted. And now he said he will, of course, testify, because now he can't argue Fifth Amendment 
because anything that he says will not be used against him in the court of law. And so now she can compel him to testify because he, he has no, and he did, and he did testify. We don't know if it's grand jury, it's secret. We don't know exactly what it was, but we know what it's going to go to. It's going to go to all his stupid comments, including to the Wall Street Journal, where he said things, just to remind people, things like Trump has the ability to just think about it and declassify something. There doesn't have to be any formal writing or procedure. That's a lie. Second thing he said was, there's a lot of things that Trump rightly took with him, like Russiagate stuff, like Hillary stuff. Right, it's exactly what we said. He has an enemies list, and for his own personal use, transactional use, he, Donald Trump, sticky finger Trump, took with him all of these documents that he found interesting that he would use against his political enemies at some other time. That, that's not the purpose of president. I don't know why I'm getting so excited. That's not the purpose of presidential it's exciting. It's exciting. So, so that's where Cash Patel is. And he's already testified. But the thing that I love about, about doing the show with you is that we get to literally visually connect the dots. And in all, all the roads and all these dots that we've been talking about for half of the show go back to Beryl Howell's courtroom, Judge, Chief Judge Beryl Howell's courtroom, who she alone is making all these decisions. So don't worry as much, listeners and followers, to what's going on in Judge Cannon's courtroom. And, you know, we'll give you updates on Ray Deary. But the person through which... All of the, of the, all the roads against Donald Trump is going through Beryl Howell's courtroom on a daily basis. Uh, one thing to point out as well, if Cash Patel lies during his compelled testimony, he can be charged with the crime of perjury. So that is not uh, extinguished simply because he's granted uh, derivative use immunity. I wanted to point that out. And then you mentioned a Judge Eileen Cannon. You know, we talk about make attorneys get attorneys. You know, she's an example, though, of a judge who sacrificed all of her dignity for the most, like, irrelevant, like, when in, in the scheme of things, as you point out, Popak, after the 11th Circuit basically said, you know, give the Department of Justice their classified records back. What are you doing? Like... This whole process before the special master there at this point, we're just basically waiting for the expedited appeal to take its course. We pretty much know she's going to lose and that or Trump's going to lose. And her assertion of equitable jurisdiction um, should never have been given in the first place. But I like that you see other judges also just who throw shade her way as well, because she's like the laughing stock in the judiciary. So in a recent case where uh, Mike Lindell, the fascist pillow guy, tried to uh, basically do the same thing that Trump did, but in a courtroom in Minnesota, and he was before the district court there. There, the judge, I think the judge's name is Kostrad, who's actually a Trump appointee threw in a footnote and basically said, and it is beyond anyone's, you know, beyond the doubt that you can't just assert equitable jurisdiction in these, you know, in these situations. And so just judges throwing shade yeah. at her for her absurd, let, uh, for her let, absurd. Let, and let me remind everybody, because um, in case we, we, we want everybody to, we want all of our information to track. You and I spend an, an inordinate amount of time trying to get this right and trying to explain it in a way and not, you know, we don't dumb it down. I think and nobody that listens, has listened to 150 or 200 of our podcasts thinks we've ever dumbed anything down. We have an intelligent, sophisticated audience who may not be all lawyers, but we explain it to them in a way 
that it, it makes sense, that fits together in a coherent system. The Mar-a-Lago subpoena that was, that the Mar-a-Lago issues are also before a grand jury in Washington, D.C. That's where some of these subpoenas have come out of, and they end up back through Barrel Howell, not through Cannon. The one that was executed in Mar-a-Lago, yes, but the, the broader issues. Cash Patel testified not in the Southern District of Florida. He testified in the Mar-a-Lago grand jury sitting in D.C., supervised by Beryl Howell. Have faith, have confidence. We've got judges and adults on the bench, including Trump appointees, who, as you said, are throwing shade on all these ridiculous, nonsensical, um, uh, irrational legal positions. And Judge Eileen Cannon simply was involved, as you mentioned, because, well, she shouldn't have been. <laughs> the search warrant was executed. It was signed by a magistrate judge who had, we talked about jurisdiction earlier in this episode, where jurisdiction lay um, in the Southern District of Florida was before the magistrate judge. And then this Judge Eileen Cannon asserted equitable jurisdiction that should never have taken place in the first place. Um, and if you like independent media like this, I do want to tell everyone, we have a lot more to discuss, but if you like independent media like this, please check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Join one of the memberships there at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. A number of memberships there with exclusive content, uh, behind-the-scenes footage, exclusive podcasts, exclusive merch drops, and more. But most importantly, you can help grow this independent network. We are not funded by any outside investors at all. So no millionaires or billionaires who fund the both sideism media. Posted on Twitter. Great job, guys. None of the people who fund the pro-fascist meeting, none of that. We are purely independent because we are fueled by you. If you can help, no matter where you are in the world, join one of the memberships at patreon.com slash Midas Touch. Also, today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition, real voting rights act, any challenges, affirmative action, anything where he claims that white people are being persecuted and that we live in, that there is no more racism taking place, and that we need everything to be race neutral, including voting rights laws and laws that are supposed to improve diversity. You're shaking your head, Popak. Why? It, it, it's it, no, no, you're no, not because you're wrong. Because you're exactly right. I'm shaking my head because we are not, and this is the problem with with dismantling affirmative action and allowing universities uh, or or precluding universities from using as one factor in establishing their entering class and the campus community overall race because if you don't do that and it's not a proxy for other things this is what chapped my ass when i listened to the uh, or read the um, oral argument which went on for five and a half hours chapped my ass to hear them talk about oh well, we're 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 post we're post racist this country no we're not um well. there's other ways to get a more balanced class without having to use um, race as a proxy. You know, that may be true, but there. But it is if you're using it as one 
factor along with is this kid an alumni uh, 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 potential selection? Did his parents go here? Which is a proxy for wealth and a proxy for uh, letting yep. in people that are that's not allowed. themselves. That's allowed. That's allowed. So you're allowed to let in the kid whose father went to Harvard because his grandfather went to Harvard. So you're allowed to bake in um, and bound history. up the, ra historical history, the, his the historical history. racism. Okay, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. my people, and I'm there's no there's no surprise. I'm Jewish. Okay, the, my people, yes, are doing fine in getting into Ivy League schools now, but in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s, including Harvard. Jews couldn't get into these places because they were there was anti-Semitism and they literally found ways to keep them out. And then other universities got established like Brandeis and things to, to kind of absorb um, a, a Jewish population. And now Blum is trying to use the Asian attack to say that Asian Americans are being unfairly um, picked on by the selection process because they're using race. And so, you know, it's a zero-sum game. You've only got 500 seats in the entering class or 5,000 or whatever the number is. And so if you if you give it to this person for all the reasons that you would want to have a well-balanced, diverse, equitable class, you have one less seat for fill in the blank. And I want to also say something. We are nine records. Uh, the biggest challenge I see here, um, if you read the statement, and I want to also say something, we are not, I know that Sandra Day O'Connor, we're going to talk about her during this piece, and I, I have a lot of respect for her, the late Sandra Day O'Connor, who used to be on the Supreme Court. She wrote the decision that they're probably going to dismantle now, back in 2001, and she said, I hope, I hope, aspirationally, that in 25 years or so, uh, in America. Thanks for staying on a little farther into our hour. I appreciate you, Nicole. Thank you, Ari. How great. And she said, I hope, I hope, aspirationally, that in 25 years or so, we won't need affirmative action. I got bad news for her. You know, we still do, because we have not evolved, despite the fact that Barack Obama was elected twice as president of the United States, we have not evolved enough where People below the process are on equal footing so that race should not be a factor in selecting that entering class. I would love for that to be. We would love for that to be where everybody is sort of on equal footing regardless of race, national origin, gender orientation, sexual orientation. But it is not the case. If anything, the Trump era, the MAGA era has taught us how stubborn racism continues to be in a country that is increasingly becoming black and brown. But time will solve this problem. 50 years from now, your children, grandchildren, 100 years from now, may not have this problem, but we currently do have it. So to give a student a, a, a backpack filled with 50 pounds of weight and have them run against a student next to them who does not have that backpack and say, go, make it to the finish line, but I'm carrying 50 extra pounds. Yeah, just keep running. Oh, sorry, you didn't make it. You don't get to be in the entering class. That is, that is the opposite. To put on blinders now and say, well, we can take race out of the equation. It'll be fair and balanced. No, it won't be. And, and anybody that says that is somebody who is who is blinded by their own racism. For Clarence Thomas, 
during the oral argument to say out loud, I don't know what diversity means. I don't understand the concept. Yeah. You know what? Then look to your left and look to your right. Because you have a, diver not because of the Republicans, you have a diverse Supreme Court, and not because of affirmative action, but look at the benefit of having black, Latino, white women on a Supreme Court that used to be all old white guys. I went, I, I'm not sure your background, I went to public school. 